This podcast is brought to you by the Baton Rouge Area Foundation, your community foundation, which is focused on one simple goal, to help philanthropists pursue their causes for bettering the lives of people in Louisiana. Welcome to the pod. I'm your host, Chris Meyer, and today we invited Sage Foley, the executive director of Baton Rouge Green. Sage became the executive director of Baton Rouge Green in November 2016 after having served on the board for six years. Over the past 35 years, Baton Rouge Green has been ever-present in the capital region, planting and maintaining thousands of trees along major roadways and interstates helping underserved neighborhoods with community greening, and cultivating urban orchards to help provide citrus to all citizens. Keep listening to learn more about the work of Baton Rouge Green. Sage, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Chris. Great to see you. You are excellent at this, by the way, I have to say. Well, we're only 20 seconds in. Okay, good. We'll check again in a little while. (laughs) So, um, Baton Rouge Green, I mean, I see the impact of your work when I'm driving. My kid's in the car. They're either pointing at the Raising Cane sign or they're saying, (laughs) oh, here's Baton Rouge Green. Are they really? They are. Or or both, because Raising Cane's is one of our big sponsors, and so they have several signs. Yeah. Thank you, Todd Graves. But uh, I think it's cool that your kids notice our signs. We will say, sometimes we'll tell people, you know, if you don't know what we do, now that you've talked to us, you will see our signs and you kind of can't unsee them. That's right. So it's a, good, it's a good starter place. And it's a good kind of thing to not unsee, right? Yeah. Oh, so, no, I'm glad. I'm absolutely glad to put it in your brain. So Living Roadways has mm-hmm. been kind of the, the signature program of Baton Rouge Green since its founding. Tell, tell us a little bit about the evolution of the program of the organization. Okay. So in around 1987, uh, a group of concerned citizens got together and saw that in the in the post-oil boom Baton Rouge, development was happening, but preservation wasn't necessarily happening, especially when it came to uh, an existing canopy that Baton Rouge is sort of known for. It's a mm. signature th- for us. Um, and uh, some folks got together and founded Baton Rouge Green. And uh, so now we're 35 years old. And I think in the early days, they knew roughly – what they wanted to do, but, you know, you don't always know how you're going to go about it. So um, after a couple of big projects, like uh, we actually planted all the uh, live oaks at Independence Park that Mm -hmm. are kind of a signature. Uh, We did those for Gulf War veterans um, and a couple other things like that. We started to really find our stride on roadsides, particularly interstates, because we, we targeted at the time uh, the gateways of Baton Rouge. And and so that means we have a lot of our primary early sites that we still take care of are on the I-110 corridor, uh, on I-10, on I-12. And so we, and, and actually a couple other um, major roads like Burbank or um, Blue Bonnet Boulevard, mm-hmm. places like that. So um, that's where we really got our, our start. And one of our first big projects, interestingly enough, is was uh, planting the 10-12 split. Which we are about to do for a third time. Yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> it is so, the, it is the nature of our work, you know. We, we cannot stand in the way of progress, but it, it's fascinating um, if you look back at the history of just this one little area and how much thought and effort and resources have been poured in. Now so. we're planting more trees this time in that area. Is that we are, we are. Um, this time we the the construction required the removal of two hundred and fifty six live oaks. Wow. Two hundred fifty six trees. Majority of those were uh, live oaks that were you know over twenty years old, and um, and it was you know devastating. Obviously, uh, the initial plans for that project did not require that number of trees to come out, but. 
um, uh, the value engineering of the project ended up putting a, a lane on the ground, therefore needing the space uh, where we had established all those lab books. So um, we, you know, we took a very proactive approach and we went straight to uh, Secretary Wilson and uh, DOTD and said, this is, you know, this is something we need to be ahead of. Um, and they understood that. I mean, they, they really did. I'll give them credit. They understood that the citizens were not going to take this lightly yeah. and they did not. So we established a plan for replanting and uh, a reimbursement rate that's going to help us at least mostly toward replanting at two to one. So we'll oh, plant wow. over 500 trees at that interchange and perhaps a few other areas um, on the corridor if we can't quite fit 500 there. But right now my guys say they can't. And do we think this will be the final plant to get that site? Can we? Oh, please? I'm sure not. Yeah. You know, I would love that. I would love that. I don't know how much more concrete you can put get, down after this. You know, I mean, we need to get to some maturity to actually climb on some of these trees at some point. Well, right? I mean, I don't know if I recommend climbing the, in the middle trees of the in the middle of the interstate, but I mean, certainly, if you're looking for all the important stuff the trees do, they don't really yeah. do that in their first few years. It takes some time to, you know, they have to be mature to be sequestering. You know, hundreds of pounds of carbon and and you know preventing the stormwater runoff uh that 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 doesn't happen when you're a baby tree that happens when you're a mature tree and, and i don't think most people understand that that sort of connection of your work mm -hmm. it, it it's it's explain kind of you know the multifaceted kind of benefits of of what repairing and restoring and improving the canopy of baton rouge does for our community yeah so at present, we have about 4,000 trees that are that we had planted, you know, um, over the years that are currently under our care. Now, we've planted tens of thousands more than that yeah. at places that are not under our care, schools, you know, roads, you name it. But um, so the 4,000 that are under our care, under the Living Railways Program, combined, uh, we actually use, uh, we use big data to help us uh, quantify exactly what they are capable of, what they're doing. And we also work on a, a digital inventory for the city. But... For those 4,000 alone, they actually prevent the runoff of, uh, I believe it's 11 million gallons of stormwater wow. each year. So that's 11 million gallons that doesn't hit our built infrastructure, right? That just, you know, basically those first couple of inches of rain, the trees sort of take care of for us. And that's just one thing. Obviously, they also scrub uh, a lot of pollutants. And thank God they're on roadsides where they're, you know, doing the work that needs to be done. Um, to, to scrub, you know, carbon and pollutants from the air. And they also obviously lower our temperatures and there's, you know, mountains of data about their positive effect on human health and their positive effect on our economy. But of course, that really is somewhat tempered by age, um, that you don't get the bang for your buck on a, on a new tree. Right. You have to be patient and give it time. So now you've had over those 4,000 trees partners that have kind of teamed up with you on different sure. interchanges sections. Um, how does that work? How do, how do companies or families get involved in, in supporting this work and planning in an area? Great question. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Nowadays, if there's an interchange that we see, you know, that somebody feels like is a, is a strong target, what we're asking for is uh, you got to come to the table ready to help us fund the installation, but you also got to stick with us. So we need sponsorship for a few years after that, at the very least, and we really need you to help bring on other sponsors to help support. You know, we don't expect you to do it alone, but um, I mean, the cost of the install is just step one A. Mm -hmm. 
uh, establishment is a whole year of a lot of TLC. And then depending on the site and the way it's been designed and built, it may take, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars a year to manage. Um, so the last one we did, for example, uh, that was kind of a big undertaking was College Drive at I-10. And that was uh, an initiative of Turner Industries, in particular Thomas Turner said, I can't understand why this hasn't been done. And we said, great, let's do it. Um, so they funded the initial install and they have supported it till now. Um, and uh, and some other partners have come on board. So that's kind of the model we need moving forward when we add a program, when we add a site to our 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 um, our inventory, there has to be some continued funding mm -hmm. because um, when I uh, arrived at Baton Rouge Green, we were in you know decent financial position, but those trees that were planted 30 years ago, there were not you know ample funds sitting around for us to take care of those. So we are still doing that you know backlog maintenance, proactive maintenance, as well as trying to move forward and add to the canopy. What would it take, roughly speaking, to add? a new what's your kind of ideal um financially to add a new site and add a new project oh gosh i mean it really does depend on the site because some sites just really you're not going to be able to plant you know 50 trees you're only going to be able to plant a handful um we look forward to we're going to see what looks like uh probably doing uh piku at i-10 mm -hmm. um we have a partner uh that has signed on for that and i don't think that's going to be a huge planting because of the structure of the interchange um but you know the i will say that the planting at college drives was uh was well over a hundred thousand dollars now you oftentimes with these kind of programs um getting citizens getting concerned groups involved you're really supplementing what some might expect a city or a parish to do. What, how's the they partnership? They would expect that, wouldn't they? <laughs> how's the partnership? How how why is this important to to create a partnership like this on the private side with with our public agencies? It's a great question, and the answer is because we actually don't receive any city or state funding uh, for the care of these trees. Now we will be receiving uh, one time funding for the reimbursement uh, about the ten twelve split mm -hmm. regarding you know those two hundred fifty six and the five hundred we'll be planting, um, and we do have a. Uh, an ongoing professional services agreement, not ongoing, but a, a professional services agreement with the city to do this digital inventory to help them catalog the data on their public right-of-way trees so that they know what they have and help them be proactive in managing it. However, we do not receive any funds for the care of those 4,000 trees. So what is the, the... From the city or state. Yeah. That is all privately raised. But now if you're working on the data side of this mm -hmm. and, and sort of cataloging with them, I mean, that, that seems to be a positive step forward. That oh, yeah, absolutely. One... Yeah, I mean, that data, um, we are, you know, we're still working on ways to leverage it sometimes. Um, we'd love, uh, you know, the, the city's tree management budget is almost non-existent. Let's be very honest. So um, if it were be able, if we were able to really leverage it, we could do things like, identify all the right-of-way water oaks that we know are uh, potentially hazardous and go ahead and be proactive about removing those ahead of a hurricane season, mm -hmm. or at least step-by-step step try to take that down. Um, but, you know, uh, the city doesn't really have the funding for that, so um, we, we are gathering the data, and it's available and is being used when possible. Um, but it also gives us, as an agency that also represents actually the, the Federal Forest Service, um, it gives us data that we can use all the time, you know, uh, because all that stuff comes through, go, runs through an iTree algorithm, so which is Forest Service uh, 
supported uh, algorithm that, te that tells us exactly, uh, you know, the eco, we call them eco benefits of each of those trees. Mm -hmm. So once they've, that tree has been measured, identified, and mapped, we know that that tree, you know, uh, captures X amount of carbon, captures X amount of pollution, and X amount of stormwater each year. And then you take that data and you multiply it, and you have a really good picture of how hard these trees are working for us. Are there cities or, or, or peers like you in the country that you model yourself after? You say, like, that's, that's an ideal we should be shooting for as a community. As concepts and programs, yes. but And, and we do, we're blessed. Um, there's kind of a mothership called the Arbor Day Foundation mm -hmm. that some people are familiar with that helps organize uh, conferences and things like that where we get to get together with other tree nerds from across the country and, and actually the world yeah. um, and, and kind of share information. The first thing that I realized, I went to that conference the first time two weeks after I had taken over the role of executive director. And even though I'd been on the board, that doesn't mean you really understand. And certainly I was just, you know, drinking from a fire hose. And, um, I uh, and I was dumbfounded at how many organizations there were like ours. Number one, a lot of them formed around the same time as us. So we were actually not behind the curve on this. In the late 80s, there were several other organizations across the country that were doing this. But number two, how we're all doing the same thing, but not doing the same thing. Mm. Because your climate and your your local microclimate in Baton Rouge and even on this little roadside is tremendously different than what people in Tennessee are dealing with or people in Utah. And so, yes, we're all doing the same thing and we share concepts and, and talk about programs, but they have to have, you know, very robust watering programs and stuff. We don't have to worry about that. We have to worry about our jungle taking over, you yeah. know? So it's different problems, but uh, but yeah, absolutely. We we're real good friends with people like uh, Up With Trees in Tulsa. It's a great organization. Um, and also uh, Tree Folks in Austin. We've had, you know, great communications with them over the years because that's definitely, a you know, considered sort of a peer city. So or at we least do was. have – What's that? <laughs> or at least was. Or it, or it was uh, at some point. Um, Maybe again. Maybe again. Uh, so they're there are great models, yeah, yeah. across this, across the country. What would you if, if you had to paint a vision for um, what our canopy, our tree plan for the city, or the vision of what we could be like? What what do you aspire to? What what ought we be shooting for? So I'm actually in the process of kind of developing at least a short short of a short term plan for that for the next five to ten years, um, and uh, my vision for for Baton Rouge. Luckily, we actually do have an excellent canopy. We're one of the better canopied cities of our peer cities across the country. A lot of that is rural, um, but we do have uh, we have an excellent percentage canopy that runs around 30 to 33 percent, depending on how you kind of mm -hmm. cut the statistics. Um, but what I would really like to see, we are terrible as a city and as a state at maintenance. And there was a time, I think, I will give people credit, that they thought maybe we could just plant trees on roadsides and walk away, and mm -hmm. that was all you needed to do. But it's just not the case. And these trees are in living and surviving in the worst possible elements and doing so much work for us that, yeah, they need a little care. They need a little maintenance. And that kind of goes across the whole city. So um, there are several corridors in the city. Uh, there are several interchanges that I have kind of on my 
hit list, some that I have donors uh, that are very interested in, some that I don't quite yet, some that I have grants. You know, we 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 put in uh, for a, di- a a grant with the health district actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were involved in that one, so that's a, a really good shot at some some serious green improvement at a couple of interchanges and on Essen and on uh, Perkins at Essen. Uh, but there's uh, another handful of major corridors that are really on my hit list that I would really love to move forward in the next few years that are on Baton Rouge surface roads that need um, better green infrastructure, but also dedicated maintenance afterward. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not in the business nowadays of planting trees on roadsides and walking Walk away. away. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Now, you, you also do more than just plant trees on roadsides. And, and think about this. I mean, you guys have begun a lot of like really unique innovations. A couple I wanted to talk about. First, the, the urban orchards. Isn't that cool? Uh, that is really cool. Tell, yeah. tell our listeners a little bit more about this. So first, I have to give some credit. One of the first people that really brought this to us was Winifred Riley, who is you know a tremendous supporter, but also great ideas. Uh, Absolutely. And so sh- her initial thought was Lamar boards have this space under them. It's somewhat maintained by, you know, professionals. Why wouldn't we do that? And we did, we did a pilot under some Lamar boards, but we still didn't have the, the kind of maintenance that we needed to really get those trees, especially through their first couple years mm-hmm. so that they establish and produce fruit. So we found a home, uh, schools, churches, businesses, and Breck Parks, obviously, um, have turned out to be great spots to try to, to inst- establish these urban orchards. And the concept there is there's underused green space. Um, as a city, and as a state, we just cutting grass is something we spend tremendous amounts of money on. Um, what if we were able to make multifunctional landscapes that actually produced literal fruit um, and didn't require that much maintenance? So City Citrus came about this way, and we've established you know anywhere from one to twenty trees at different places, where then the care of that of that orchard goes to what we call our citrus shepherds. Now those are volunteer people who have taken on the, the 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 weight of taking care of those trees, making sure they make it through those first few years so that eventually they produce fruit that is then open source for everybody around. You know, um, those trees are, uh, if they're on a school grounds, they're obviously for the schools uh, and the students, but those students should take it home to their families. Mm-hmm. If it's on a Breck Park, then it's for anybody passing by. And so uh, we initially established over, or planted over 500. We think around 250 have survived that first, you know, several years. And now we're in a space where we have actually somebody who is um, a new staffer who is going about the process of establishing citrus at EBR Community Housing Authority, uh, EBR Housing Authority Communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, they've got community gardens. We're partnered with the Walls Project on this. And so alongside those gardens, we're trying to get citrus in. That's called agroforestry. Buzzword for the day. Agroforestry is the process of growing trees and uh, agriculture and using them in tandem to function and support each other. I love the collaboration that 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 you're creating here. I mean, the number of other agencies and partners sure. levering those assets with the private industry, public agencies. I mean, that's rare a lot of times, especially for not-for-profit organizations. You know what I think it is, honestly? I think anybody who's worked in this space realizes immediately how much harder it is and how much more complicated it is than they ever yeah. imagined. I, I had um, Marley Pittman and I worked on a project a few years ago where she was like, 
I had no idea. And we hear that a lot. And so we we like we're okay with being the people that you come to and go, uh, we want to do this, but we're really not sure how, because we have 35 years of experience. I have brilliant people that work with me that have thought through this, know everything from the kinds of species we need to be working with, the microclimate of the area, to the equipment you're going to need afterward, to the years of maintenance that are going to be required. And so uh, that kind of knowledge doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't come overnight. And it, we're here for other organizations to provide it. You also jumped into the space, you know, speaking of um, uh, addressing blight and, yes. uh, you know, properties that everyone knows across the city. One of one of our major challenges right now is the, the number of vacant and, and uh, dilapidated homes that's creating fear, that's fostering violence. And it's just, it, it's an eyesore. And that's not the way we want to grow new. No. And I'm so glad you brought this up because one of my favorite projects we've done, but we just haven't had traction, was a, a pocket park yeah. pilot that we did. And ExxonMobil helped us in install it and take care of it, but there was no long-term maintenance for that. So it's, you know, uh, kind of being cared for by the neighbors, but it was just a small lot on Sorrell Avenue that, uh, ExxonMobil owned. And we went about the process of, with a, a re- very small budget, you know, relative to the property, um, basically just trying to replant it and forest it to some degree so that it improves the neighborhood. It inspires the neighbors to improve their property. But also, we understand that that lot is hopefully going to get put back into commerce. Mm-hmm. So it can just be scraped when it's time. Um, but in the meantime, it's got trees that are doing a bunch of work on it and, you know, cleaning the soil and producing oxygen and dropping temperatures for those neighbors and increasing property values. And we would love to take that product and, and do it more and more and more if we had uh, the means and, you know, the support to do it. What, what do you think it would it would take? What, what would a sort of initial phase to sort of get that started in other neighborhoods so on this lot it was like a house you know a small house lot and i think our investment that on that one was about thirty thousand dollars it would be more than that now let me be very clear for a whole lot of reasons however what we would need after that is probably an additional i don't know let's say ten thousand dollars a year to keep just it to just keep it from um really going feral you know what i mean but it's not programmed it just needs a little bit of tlc uh seasonal tlc um to and and the obviously the 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 ripple effect of that we found was just tremendous and uh so you know it also depends on a a property owner who's allowing us to to do this Mm -hmm. and just kind of hands off saying take it away until it's time for something else to happen um but yeah i would say that we would need somewhere in the neighborhood of around 40 to 50 grand to do this um on small lots and then another 10 maybe more uh per year to keep it you know just between the lines yep what are some of the headwinds that that you face either organizationally or, or you think we're facing kind of as a city and, and people on on this challenge of making this real <laughs> How much time do we oh, have? Oh, keep keep rolling. Okay, okay. so um, obviously, immediately we're we're facing the same issues uh, that everybody else is facing. Labor issues, gas prices have really, um, you know, uh, estimates that we made for plantings six months ago are now defunct, mm. and we're having to refigure them. Um, that's a that's a, that's a immediate, you know, right now twenty twenty two problem. Um, in a larger scale, um, I continue to go around banging my drum about um, maintenance as a program of the city and as a funding issue overall. So we have these beautiful roads that we're planning um, with Move BR, and a lot of them are going to involve some very uh, forward-thinking green infrastructure design. Uh, there is no money to maintain this. 
and we've never thought of of creating an, an endowment or some sort of program off of whenever we're building a new road, setting aside X amount. In an we as the way. city, I, I don't. We as know. a community. We as a community probably. I mean, I, it's been discussed, and I actually had this discussion about an endowment for Baton Rouge Green the other day. Sometimes that is sort of cost prohibitive because inter, you know the interest rates haven't been really helpful for that. But um, I certainly look forward to the day when Baton Rouge Green has an endowment that can sustain it at least to some degree. Even if everything falls apart, there's still money to pay the basic, you know, maintenance needs of those trees that are now, I mean, they're in our care in perpetuity. And and if we went defunct, either they're just going to kind of fall over dead on the roadsides or, uh, you know, they might get removed because of DOTD is very clear that they're not in the business of taking care of trees. They don't have the resources of the people. And I understand that. That's not what they're there to do. They're there to build roads. And so um, we really, you know, what would happen? That's a big question mark. So that's something that kind of keeps me up at night. (laughs) Well, and something that that we absolutely, I mean, given, you know, what I've learned today is, is, um, one, while we are ahead as a city that's that's maybe more well canopied than a lot of our peers, um, it's not necessarily sufficient about where we're going. And certainly we, while we have a plan to maybe address immediate today issues, we have to be thinking 10 and 20 years in the future because that's when these things, these trees are going to return their value. Absolutely. And it's when they also need, you know, they still need care because you're talking about trees that are dealing with, um, constant wind, constant drought, constant Water inflow. I mean, the, the the tree on the roadside is working harder than the one in your yard and the one in a forest by far yeah. because it's just a difficult situation. Um, so we have to be even more cognizant of how we got to take care of them if we want them to get to the point where they're really giving back. All right. So we talked about some headwinds. What what are the the tailwinds? What what's exciting you, giving you hope for for where we're going? Uh, the people understand the value more now than they did five years ago than they did 10 years ago than they did 30 years ago uh, of making these investments. Um, is it still the smallest part of any construction budget, you know, landscape uh, in a general, but uh, it's not a sell anymore that we need to be planting more trees. It is a sell still that we have to really invest in taking care mm-hmm. of them and keep them not cut down and start over every 10 years. Um, but the headwinds are definitely that people understand the value. Um, and I have, you know, I, I'm, I'm grateful to funders like Dow, for example, that is doubling down with us this year because they see the value in the carbon capture and sequestration that we're doing. And that that only happens because those trees are staying alive. As soon as you cut them down, you've lost all of that momentum and you put hundreds, thousands of pounds of carbon back into the air. So keeping them alive and upright is exactly what you need to be doing. Um, so that's definitely a headwind. Um, and, you know, we've seen some we've seen some positive uh, movement from the federal angle uh, in urban and community forestry over the last several years. And we've you know, really tried to take that and, and max out on it here locally. So that's actually how we get to hire the person who's going to be putting in citrus alongside those community gardens with the walls project, because they understand that there is this beautiful nexus of, of, uh, healthy food choices, food security, agroforestry, and urban canopy that is, you know, all fits together. 
it all fits together. Yeah, absolutely. This has been amazing, Sage. Um, for folks that want to get involved, whether it's a, a company, it's it's a, a civic association, individuals, how can they get in touch with you? How can they jump in? Awesome. Yeah. Our uh, well, our website, which I'm hoping to rebuild again pretty soon. You know, five years. It's like it's like a zombie already, probably. But maintenance. You know, yeah, maintenance, <laughs> man. Um, uh, but BatonRougeGreen.com. Um, our Instagram in and then which feeds to our Facebook is excellent. It's run by one of my uh, one of the experts on my team, so it's it's very detailed and science-based and you can get great stuff from there um, but yeah if you'll go to our website we have a, a how do you get involved that is everything from becoming a member which is like our annual fundraising to uh, volunteering to you know jumping on we have some living roadway sites that need sponsors that we would love to have some support for so that we can really get some work done well that's amazing well uh, you've heard it here on the podcast uh, please check out batonrougegreen.com uh, Sage you've been awesome thank you for joining us thank you uh, as always to those listening in I'm your host Chris Meyer and our mission is to elevate the stories ideas and people making Baton Rouge a better place to learn more about the Baton Rouge Area Foundation please visit our website at braf.org and become a member today <laughs>